Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the imaginatively titled Lee Addison podcast. How well did I say imaginatively then? I sort of went imaginatively. So the imaginatively titled Lee Addison podcast, episode 14, a podcast about real people, real life and real issues, even if those issues are pronouncing imaginatively in a podcast. Next week, you're going to hear from a gentleman called Carlo Napolitano. He's the CEO and founder of the Armada Advisory, a personal and business debt solutions company. Also happens to be somebody I've known for over 30 years. He has a very similar accent to me. Lives in Australia, though. Was also a professional rugby league player in the past and Italian head coach in the Rugby League World Cup in 2013. So amazing story. Got alopecia at a really young age and used that to have some fire in his belly. And the first thing I want to talk about is that fire in the belly. Now, if you listen to episode two, I think it was, of the Lee Addison podcast, you'll have heard from Dean Clifford, who was told he wasn't going to live beyond the age of two. 75% plus of his skin is damaged by EB. And he kept getting life expectancy news that wasn't great. He's now in his 40s and a motivational speaker who travels the world. He'll be in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. And he spoke on that podcast about how he used that to drive a lot of his successes in life that he continues to have and the barriers he continues to break. With Carlo next week, you'll hear about him talk about alopecia, how it set him out differently from other people, made him look different and gave him the fire to achieve everything he has in life and he's achieved an awful lot and as an old friend I'm really proud of him I don't know what the fire is in your belly that keeps you going every day I would imagine if you're a family uh, your parent or grandparent you want to do your best for your kids fire in my belly in particular two things I, I grew up in a shitty council estate in England and my dad always said to me there's more to life than this estate when I was a kid and that's always stuck with me and that's no offence to the estate I love going back there but he always taught me there was more out there in the world. Uh, but number two, and the biggest one particularly in my adult years, was seeing my mother suffer and other members of my family suffer as they did. My mum died in her 40s, and my grand died, and my uncle died in his 40s, my grand died in her early 70s, all from motor neuron disease. Motor neuron disease runs through my family. We're in the 10% of cases where that happens. And there's at least statistically a 50% chance that I will end up with that disease one day. But Quite frankly, that's not how I live my life. And But the fire in my belly came from seeing my mother on her deathbed for months. A woman in the prime of her life, cut down by this horrible disease. And the fire in my belly said to me, well, if that's going to be me in 20 years, as it was then. So now I'm in my 40s, believe it or not. I know I only look 28. But if that's me... In 20 years, I want to do as much as I can with my life and I want to make it count. And that's what gives me the energy to get out of bed every day. That's what gives me the fire in my belly. What gives you the fire in your belly? I'd love to hear. If you want to contact me, you can contact me, Lee, at so, sugarorangesocials.com.au on email or at the Lee Addison podcast on 
Instagram or Facebook. This week, I want to talk about divisive narrative and what's the truth. Have you noticed that the media, the corporates and some politicians in our Western world, and I always refer to the Western world because of our links, but have you noticed that they're always seemingly trying to divide us of late? They're trying to put division between us, get us arguing. Have you noticed that? Have you also noticed that the truth is very much open to debate now, depending on which side of whatever particular divide you're on? I'll look first at division. I'll, I'll dig deep into that. I find this very ironic in a country like Australia, where they try and force this division on us. Because most Aussies that I know are so laid back. <laughs> and all those all people who've come to Australia are so laid back because they live in Australia. They're too laid back to argue with anyone. And they don't like any form of conflict at all. But this whole division thing has come to my mind because of the dates about Australia Day. The debates, I should say. Which is imminent here in Australia, January the 26th, to be exact. And some people are saying it should just be called a public holiday. So apparently some councils and people in government positions are referring to it as public holiday now rather than Australia Day. And hot on the heels of a referendum debate that led to a divisive campaign and rhetoric. Notice, notice my word in there. I didn't say the referendum debate was divisive. I said the rhetoric and the campaigning could have been seen as divisive. After that, we're now faced with the decision about whether we should feel guilty or not about celebrating Australia, which is the country we all live in, on January the 26th or not. And for those listening outside Australia, I'll, I'll paint some of the, picture, of the picture for you soon. For the record, my opinion, and I know I'm a ringing, I, I, I wasn't born here, but I'll call it home. I've always felt the day, January the 26th, could either be changed or the current day, to have an extra push to recognise the concerns of Indigenous groups and anybody who who doesn't think the day should be celebrated on that day. So rather than talking about the division, I think we should talk about what brings us together. And for your benefit, though, here's what's been happening, and here's some arguments for both sides of the, in inverted commas, divide. I just want to say at this juncture, search engines seem slanted in the direction of saving the day, right, and not changing it rather than the other argument, which is it makes people call it Invasion Day or other things, which I'll go into soon. I do know how to research things, guys, right? I've done enough university assignments and taught people how to research. I am telling you now, the stuff out there is slanted towards saving the date, right? The date, 26th of January 1788, marks the proclamation of British sovereignty over Australia, or at least the eastern seaboard of it at the time. And now it's the official National Day of Australia, observed annually, annually on that date. And that was a date that Captain Arthur Phillip raised the Union flag at Sydney Cove in New South Wales. Quite often, citizenship ceremonies happen on Australia Day to welcome people to Australia officially. In the past, the day was also named Anniversary Day, Foundation Day and ANA Day. And it's an official public holiday in every state or territory. 
But since at least 1938, the date of Australia Day has also been marked by some Indigenous Australians and supporters mourning what they believe to be the invasion of the land. And I think, to be fair, however you paint it, Britain didn't own it and then turned up and said it's ours. So imagine somebody to come in to come into your house and you know, we're told we're told that they did it nicely. So imagine somebody coming to your house and saying, Okay, I really like you, but I'm gonna move in. I'm gonna change all the decoration, change the sofa, change everything, but you can live here, but you play to my rules. I think we can all agree that's basically the best that happened. Um and some Indigenous Australians and supporters mourn this day because they occupied this land for a, many, a millennia, the, the Indigenous people. And many call it Invasion Day, Survival Day, or a day, and a day of mourning is, is observed by many in a form of counter-observance. And there's many calls now for the date to be changed or the holiday to be abolished entirely. I think most Australians would not want to lose the holiday, so let's get that straight. Right? We want the extra holiday. Okay. Um, overall, the change in the date is seen as a minority position, but polls suggest some support amongst Australians under the age of 30. There's an interesting link here under the age of 30, and you'll see why I mention this soon when I talk about the Vietnam War. The divisive rhetoric this year started on the 11th of January 2024 when Woolworths, who are a massive retailer here, so Woolworths is like an Asda in England or... Um, I forget what some of them are called in America, but you get my point. Woolworths and Big W over here declared they were not stocking Australian Day merchandise for the first time ever because they referred to a gradual decline in community demand. Kmart, another retailer, did it last year, and Aldi, I thought, to be going down the same avenue this year too. Opposition leader, Liberal Party leader Peter Dutton, called for a boycott of Woolies, and I would argue that is divisive and quite absolute. Well, why boycott them? You know, that's quite absolute, isn't it? Don't give that big company that supplies so many jobs in this country money. <laughs> what great what what great advice. Well, Reconciliation Australia welcome the move. But I would also like to argue, is the move itself not divisive? Why take it away? What if people want to buy Australia Day? Produce some merchandise. A couple of Woolworths stores have been vandalised since then. The Guardian reported that Liberal MPs are sharing Facebook posts and paying for adverts lobbying against changing the date. I'm quoting the Guardian now. Quote, the Liberal MP, the Liberal MP, Andrew Hasty has spent hundreds of dollars running 11 ads on the Woolworths decision in January, calling for people to defend our day and pointing to a petition on his website that had 2,590 signatures at the time of reporting. I continue to quote. Australia Day is under siege by politicians, corporate elites and unelected bureaucrats, Hasty says in each ad. Prime Minister Albanese promised not to change Australia Day, but his government is waging war on Australia Day, along with corporate elites like Woolworths and Big W. And that's the end of the quotes from that MP. The Shadow Immigration and Citizenship Minister, I'm still quoting the Guardian here, Dan Tian, has run 10 ads claiming the Prime Minister is undermining Australia Day. Tian told Guardian Australia, 26th of January was our national day, quote-unquote, and the Prime Minister wants to change the date, but he lacks the courage to make the argument, so instead he is letting the day's significance be eroded until it means nothing. In the Courier Mail, Queensland's newspaper, 
Mike O'Connor. As Australia Day looms, ask why people accepted in this country repay us by bringing their hatred of others, was the headline. And then a sub-headline, we're smart enough to make up our own minds on how to celebrate our National Day without any sermonising from the boardroom. So that headline and sub-headline there is actually quite divisive again. So who says there's any hatred of others? And also... I do like the fact is the sub-headline is saying we're smart enough to make our own minds. It's that's contradictory, if you ask me, in that little section there. An IPA poll found that 63% of Australians say January the 26th should stay, and less than one in five want to change it. But many, and for many, Australia Day is referred to as Invasion Day or Survival Day, particularly by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians, because it celebrates a painful part of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history. The Insider Guides on January the 9th wrote, now, again, I know how to research. I've already quoted the ABC, actually, some of the things in there, and the Guardian and the Courier Mail. Now, I am quoting Insider Guides for the other side of the story. That's because some of the mainstream media don't cover this side of the story as much. Australia Day celebrations have long been a hot topic at this time of year. And it only takes a quick scroll through social media posts to see how polarizing the subject is to many Australians, says the Insider Guides. I continue. The date, 26th of January, is extremely controversial because it marks the anniversary of the arrival of the first fleet of European ships on Australian shores. It was then that the colonization me and my words today, of the country began bringing massacres, oppression of indigenous communities, theft of land, and more recently, the stolen generations of the early to mid 20th century. Think about that. These generations of uh, Aboriginal children were forcibly removed from their families as a result of government policies. Not that long ago, folks. I continue to quote, as such, there have been calls for Australia Day to be moved to a date that unites all of its people instead of continuing the, the divide. Closed quote. Now, I do like that last statement, and I agree with that. Suggested alternative dates for Australia Day include 1st of January, the day the Commonwealth of Australia came into being in 1901. That's quite simple. Uh, this year, I do know that the 2nd of January wasn't a public holiday, so you could make 2nd of January a public holiday, possibly. If it falls on a weekend, make the 3rd or the 4th a public holiday. 28th of January has been adopted by the city of Fremantle over in Western Australia. 12th of March, the day that Australia's capital city was officially named, Canberra. Not a bad idea. 9th of May, a date that coincides with many significant anniversaries in Australia, including becoming a self-governing federation. 27th of May, the anniversary of a referendum to include Indigenous Australians in the census count. This date also kicks off Re Reconciliation Week each year. So th some of those may bring people together rather than try and divide us. And like I said, I think some of these efforts to divide us are quite futile. bit more in my opinion. Modern Australia is a multicultural society. Our kids and younger generations don't see skin colour. They don't see differences. And any pathetic attempts from corporates or politicians with white hair middle-aged people and older to divide Australians over this issue is futile in my opinion their thought processes and their ideas to me are in previous centuries 
I've worked in places where uh, coaching and teaching where so many people of so many different backgrounds have mixed no problem because they don't see any issues. Because we're not born with hatred in our heart, are we? We learn it somewhere along the way. Most Australians and visitors that come to Australia to live don't give a flying flamingo and just want to celebrate the country that we all call home. Let's have an adult debate about the date. And that's what a democracy is meant to, a democracy is meant to be, isn't it? But on the subject of democracy. And now I want to talk on the truth and what the truth is and where we sit with truth now. And if you stick with me, you'll you'll realise how muddled up we might actually be in terms of the truth. American studies showed that trust in government is near to record lows since 1958. So near to record lows, it's almost never been lower, trust in government. Eka et al. on the 12th of January 2022 wrote, misinformation has been identified as a major contributor to various contentious contemporary events, ranging from elections and referenda to the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Close quote. I'll be talking a bit more about all that as we go through. Of course, with social media now, it's easy for false information to get out there and for it to be spread. And sometimes we see something, we just go, yeah, that must be true. I've seen Mel Gibson in trouble an awful lot on Facebook lately and Simon Cowell and a few other people meant to be in hospital. And it's just all BS. But does everybody know what, what is false, what's true, and who's to know? Do we know? We probably don't know. Let's have a look at the history of it. Prior to sort of modern celebrity and pop culture, it's probably fair to say most of us just accepted what we were told. I'll give you a very extreme but a very pertinent example here. World Wars. Those people over there are evil. We must fight for our country. Okay, let's do it. That's what we told happened. We were told happened anyway. Did it happen? So, people younger than us, so our kids, our grandkids, being sent to war in 1914 and 1939 was very common. And statistics say that there were 60,000 conscientious objectors in World War II, according to Northumbria University. Now, that is just in Britain alone. 60,000 isn't a huge number, is it? Well, that's the ones we know about. 1960s, coverage of the opposition to the Vietnam War in, in that era seemed to be limited to student activism. Now, remember what I said earlier about subvert, sorry, opposition to Australia Day being higher in the under-30s? Well... Most people under 30 or a big chunk of people under 30, it's not that long ago that they were student or they might still be a student. You see a pattern here? And the actual view of dissidents in the Vietnam War was rarely reported. You see another pattern here with Australia Day? What I told you about the search engines? Fast forward to 2003 and 36 million people across the globe took part in close to 3,000 protests against the Iraq War. So, 19... 39 to 2003, 60,000 people to 36 million people. That's across the globe, I accept that, and the first one was the UK, but 
um, still, if we time if we times all the countries by sixty thousand, I'm pretty sure we won't get to th- thirty six million. So did opposition exist in World War Two and the late sixties, but not get reported? Or has our modern news and online culture opened up a bigger reflection of the truth? Or are we starting to develop alternative views? Quite a nuanced thing, isn't it? Which what's the truth? So let's look at our erosion of truth, particularly when it comes to politics and Western politicians. And let's not forget, Australia seems to tag along in Western politics a bit like a kid desperate to get on the good side of the schoolyard bullies. You know, Did you know in the last few weeks Australians were involved in the skirmish in the Red Sea? Did you know that? that came from the Americans and the British. Did you know Australians were involved in that? Remember, the King of England is the head of state of Australia. This isn't a republic yet. And I think, you know, again, what's the truth there? How much control does Great Britain and the Commonwealth have over Australia at the end of the day? Let me tell you some of the stuff that's come from England and America in the last couple of decades. In 1989, there was a Hillsborough football disaster. A lot of Liverpool fans went into the away end in a cup semi-final things went horribly wrong and 96 Liverpool fans were crushed to death what has emerged is that so many things were done wrong by the authorities and what has also emerged very slowly since then that there was an establishment cover-up to protect police from blame and blame the victims for their own deaths and there's still not justice to this day and that was in 1989 head of state of Australia is the King of England. Bill Clinton did not have sexual relations with that woman in the 1990s. Do you remember that? Even though his sperm was later found on her clothing. I mean, just that statement alone, unless he just walked in a wardrobe and looked after himself, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it became clear he did have sexual relations with that woman, and that was the President of the United States in the 90s, and the leader of the free world, as they're often referred to. The Blair government in the UK, I lived under that government, voted in in 1997. The term spin came into the modern vocabulary. Spin is a form of propaganda. And Tony Blair appointed his very own spin doctor and spin doctors. And quite frankly, they seemed to relish that term and play on it and not dismiss it and say they were lying. It was... Even the term alternative truths came out or um, various terms that came into our modern lexicon. I think we all accept George W. Bush and Tony Blair took us, including Australians, to a war based on the fact that weapons of mass destruction existed in Iraq, yet they were never found. People died, and you could argue, are still dying needlessly because of all the spin-offs from that. So compare and contrast World War Two, what we were told about dissidents versus what we're told now. What's the truth? Then in 2016, we seem to have quite a pivotal year for all this. There was a movement in Great Britain and in America towards Brexit in Great Britain and make America great again, Donald Trump in America. And whatever the right or wrongs of this, whatever you believe or don't believe, have a look at and research people called Rob Mercer, Steve Bannon, when you look at the Brexit and the Trump Make America Great Again movement in those countries, 
and Google words like Cambridge Analytica and see what comes out there in terms of the truth. And whatever the rights or wrongs of Brexit and Trump, I think it's hard not to see Brexit, a removal of the UK from the European Union. It's hard not to see that as a potentially divisive issue because whatever the realities of the situation, campaigning, just like the referendum, yes or no, the voice referendum in Australia, some of the campaigning became divisive and the same with Donald Trump love him or loathe him no one can doubt Donald Trump divides opinion these these movements led to many fringe campaigns so politicians are very good at saying something without actually saying anything or hinting at something without saying something and it makes people react in certain ways and therefore it often leads to many fringe campaigns that are focused on rates immigration levels and the like with Brexit and Trump and it can often be taken to extremes and tragically just before the Brexit referendum in 2016 a, a beautiful lady young lady member of parliament in England was murdered Joe Cox three gunshots and stabbed by a man shouting Britain first a far right slogan and then of course we had Covid do we get the vaccine or not? Wear a mask or not? What about all the information? Have a think about the information you received around this time and what you believe now and what you believe then and where it came from. Have a think to, back to how scared you might have been at the time versus the reality. But then there's other people who did have death as a reality, so I'm not trying to underplay that. And then we have the outbreak now of respiratory, respiratory issues. I read about them every day. Has that got anything to do with vaccines or COVID or what? What's the truth? Most of us now critically analyse what we're given because there's so much of it out there. We don't just take anything carte blanche. And how can you? How can you when our leaders take us to war looking for weapons of mass destruction that don't exist? How can you when 96 people go to a football match, don't come home and it's their fault? So how can we take that carte blanche anymore? But it's also clear to me that we get some information, a lot of people get some information from some very unique places. Some of the rubbish I've heard out of people's mouths over the years from where they got it from is uh, is unbelievable. During the latter part of COVID in mid-2022, I left Brisbane to go to England to see my family and do things, my friends. Brisbane at the time, you know, people weren't dropping dead left, right and centre with COVID. People did die and... My condolences to all those people, but it was a relatively safe place in the world compared to others. But we all had to wear masks all the time. Had to wear masks on the plane. You needed a vaccine passport to get on the plane. And then I arrived in England where thousands upon thousands upon thousands had died, where COVID was still relatively rampant. I went to watch Manchester City, 50,000 people. I think I saw two or three masks in the whole place. This was 24 hours apart. And I remember then thinking that there's a bit of an uprising going on <laughs> about misinformation. And think about some of the messaging now. Apparently, we're on an eighth COVID wave. Are we all rushing to get masks? Are we all rushing to the hand sanitizer? Are we all rushing to get jabs? Most of us are turning away, and that's because of all the various bits of information we're getting. 
as a population, I'd say we're over it and we just want to get on with our lives. What would have happened in 1939? Think about our various views on climate change and how divisive that can be sometimes. And if you think, you know, some of these naughty things from the establishment are in the past, do yourself a favour and research the post office scandal in the UK that's only just come to light now because an ITV drama brought it to the populace. So it was crushed by a lot of the media outlets as a story. Basically, what's happened is people who worked in post offices between the late 90s and 2010, 2011, I think, were using software from an international company that was faulty and therefore balances at the end of each day weren't looking great in the negative. And they were getting the blame for it. And some of these people got put in jail. Some of these people got a criminal record because they were accused of stealing money, even though all the time the equipment was faulty, the new technology. And the amount of people implicated in this, in terms of they were told the equipment was faulty, but they just let it through because it was cheap. And the amount of stories that are coming out about the higher echelons who told people in the post office, you're the only one this is happening to, even though it's happening nationwide. The amount of stories post office workers, when they saw that there was £2,000 missing, put their own money in to make sure they didn't get in trouble. Think about the people who work in your local post offices. Don't get me wrong, I know things change, but ultimately the vision we see is somebody who just wants to help the community, cares. You feel love and warmth when you go into a post office most of the time, don't you? Quite often in remote areas of different countries, the post office is somewhere where people in mid to late life want to go and retire and work and have a nice quiet life in a village or in a bush somewhere and help the community. And these people were accused of making hundreds and thousands of pounds on the sly. And it was covered up for years and years and years. And now the government talking about quashing 300 convictions. So, yeah, things like this are still going on. What's the truth? Who knows? It's been eroded. All right, I'm going to end this week with the next of the 21 things I've learned about socials. The first two seconds of any video that you put on social media is the most important because people just scroll. I'll talk in future about the scroll count and amount. But imagine two videos. The first video says, hello, my name's Joe. Hope you're having a good day. Would you stay on that video if you were just scrolling? And then Joe on the next video that I'm going to give you an example of says, I bet you any money you can't do this. Which one are you going to stay with for longer? I think you'll all agree it's the second one. And in the first two seconds of any video you do on socials, make sure either it says what it is in words, in captions. So, I don't know, horse for sale. <laughs> the minute somebody clicks on it. Or the words coming out of your mouth or mouths of anyone have some kind of hook. Because people just scroll. And I'll talk about how much they scroll in the next episode of the Lee Addison Podcast. If you want to discuss content ideas for your business, please reach out for a free social strategy session with me. Strategy session. I'm doing it again. My words are... Blah, blah, blah. Um, didn't have much sleep. You can contact me, Lee, 
at sosocials.com.au. You can see my website, sosocials.com.au. Or you can find me on the Lee Addison podcast at Instagram and Facebook. If you want a free social strategy session, because I've got a social media business and I've got a rugby league business. If you do like rugby league, listen to the rugby league coach podcast and soon the relaunch of Around the Town with Taylor Brown. Um, no interviews this week, just me pontificating. Carlo next week. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Have a great week. Thank you.